Does anyone need to come forward for prayer for their ears in that moment? Is everybody still okay? Still with me? Are we good? Are we good? You guys are good? Okay. All right. So here we go. So anyway, now I can't even remember what I was saying. So I'll say something else. Okay. So I'm here. I'm excited to be here this morning. Um, something that you probably don't know about me. This is, you know, the other sad thing about this moment is that you do. You get to know me, and I don't really get to know you very well in this moment. And so if you'd like to have me and my family and my three kids over for dinner, we would love to get to know you. If you want us to step into your lives, that would be great. We would love that. We're going to, Andy and Summer, we're ready. We're going to, family, family first. We would love to spend time with you. Um, but anyway, just to get to know me a little bit, I love movies. Something you need to know about me is that I love movies. And for better or for worse, I have big boundaries with my movies. And I love all kinds of movies. I'm going to have to confess to you, I loved 300. I loved it. I loved it. I loved that movie. But on the other side of the coin, I loved once. I loved that movie. I loved that movie. And there are a couple TV shows in between. I love Battlestar Galactica. I love Arrested Development. I just do. There's just a lot. Of, I love film. There's something powerful to me about film. And it's great entertainment, don't get me wrong, but there's something cool about film that's like modern parables. You know, film tells an amazing story of what's going on in our times. So what was shocking to me a couple weeks ago is I, my husband and I, um, in our living room, kind of living room area, I don't know, it's like a triangle room. It's not a very great room in my house. But anyway, there's a computer and there's a TV, and my husband, Tripp, starts watching a movie. And he starts watching it without me. I'm sitting at the computer doing something. He starts watching a movie without me. And I'm like, Trip, wait, wait, I want to watch a movie. And he's like, Kathy, I really don't think you're going to like this one. And so me being me, I'm like, no, 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 I I'm sure I'm going to love it. I'm going to love this movie. I'd love to watch this movie with you. And he's like, really, honey. I and, and you can tell he's kind of trying to protect me. It's not like he's embarrassed about what he's going to watch. I hope not. But anyway, he just, or maybe he was feeling embarrassed. He's not in this service, so I can say that. But anyway, so, and, and I'm thinking, you know, maybe he's trying to protect me or something. I'm like, and then he's like, no, really, I don't think you're going to like it. So then, of course, my great wife instincts, I'm like, oh, no, I'm going to love this movie. I'm going to love this movie. Just if nothing more, just to prove you wrong. But I'm going to love this movie. So anyway, I sit down to watch this movie with Trip, And the movie opens up. And it's a couple talking about their relationship. And they're in a pub. And you kind of pan out. And you see their friends around them. Um, and I'm thinking, I can connect with a movie that talks about a relationship. And you see the kind of the main character of this movie. He's kind of a guy who's not really taking a lot of initiative in his life. And you see the guy wake up you know, in the next series of shots the next day. And he's, just, he's kind of getting ready for work. And it kind of feels like the same old, same old in his life. And then the camera pans out. And you kind of look at these people as he's, you know, he's going to work and he's riding the bus and he's at the grocery store. And you look at these people around him and they don't look so good. And you're looking at them and they kind of look ashen. And they look just like the color is all drained out of them. And they kind of look like that they're the living dead. And then the movie goes on and it keeps going. And I realize, 
oh my gosh, I'm watching a movie about the living dead. I'm watching a zombie movie. My husband has got me watching a zombie movie. No wonder he didn't want me to watch this movie. I mean, zombie movie, like, in the head, you know, killing zombies. I mean, blood, gore, just the whole nine yards. I'm watching this zombie movie, and I have to confess I'm kind of liking it. And I'm kind of, there's something within me that I, I'm, I'm liking this zombie movie. And I'm like, yes, go, throw the record at him, you know. But I'm, I'm liking, I'm liking, I'm like, kill more zombies. But there's, so, you know, that I'm, I'm enjoying this zombie movie. And as the movie closes and I go to bed and I don't have bad dreams, but I'm thinking, I'm like, what is it that, that I connected with a zombie movie? What is it? And why have people for decades connected and keep making zombie movie after zombie movie after zombie movie? And I think... There's something that's so strange and so powerful about what the living dead looks like, about the fact that these people have these wounds that eat away at them on the inside. And it's these wounds that these people get that um, eventually kill them, and they become the living dead. Y'all, we were never, ever created to be or to walk like the living dead. That is not God's purpose, and that is not God's plan for our lives. We were not created to be the living dead. God did not come, Jesus did not come to make bad people good. He came to give dead people life. And he steps into our woundedness, and he steps into our pain with a heart full of compassion. And he meets us in our pain, to bring relief, to bring healing, and to bring wholeness. And he does that through his love and through his compassion. If you've got a Bible, it would be so awesome if you could turn to Matthew chapter 9, because that's what we're going to be looking at today. It's Matthew chapter 9, and it's verses 35 through 38. That's the passage we're looking at. If you don't have a Bible, if you're a visitor here to River City Church and you're going to go home today and you're not going to have a Bible, we'd love to give you one. Tracy and Jonathan are at the back of the church. They've got Bibles under their seat. They'd love to pass you one. There they are. They'd love to give you a Bible if you don't have one. Take one home on your way out as a gift. But anyway, we're looking in um, Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 through 38. Okay. Here we go. Are you still turning? We got it? We're good? Everybody good? Okay. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his field. Jesus isn't just a good example about compassion. He's the best. He's the best example about compassion. And Jesus doesn't show us by an example just a good way to live our lives. He shows us the best. He shows us the best. What's amazing about Jesus, one of the things that's amazing about Jesus is that there is no separation between him and the people. That he went into communities and he taught and he preached and he healed every sickness and he healed every disease. Jesus stepped into people's lives. He got his hands dirty. He stepped in and he got his hands dirty and he got involved in people's lives. And why? Because he knew, he knows us. He knows that we are harassed and that we are helpless 
that we are like sheep without a shepherd, and he has compassion on us. Compassion, that kind of, you know, the definition talks about it as like a feeling in your gut. It's to love deeply. It's to have mercy. It's to have tender affection. God has that towards you, and he has that towards me. And what's amazing to me is the reality is that he has it towards me, and he has it towards you, even though he knows it. I mean, he knows the good, the bad, and the ugly. Before a word is on my tongue, he knows it completely. Yet he longs to show me compassion, and he loves me anyway. Um, Isaiah 30, 18 says this, Yet the Lord longs to be gracious to you. He rises to show you compassion. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all who wait on him. Blessed are all who wait on him. He longs and he desires to show you compassion, tender affection, an amazing mercy to love you deeply. And so God has that kind of love for me. And so I have to naturally think to myself, well, what is it? that prevents me from loving others that way? What is it that prevents me from showing compassion? What is it that when I see a crowd, I don't naturally go that way towards compassion? I think Donald Miller wrote it in Blue Like Jazz, that the thing that gets in the way um, of me showing compassion is me, is me. And Donald Miller in that book says that the the worst addiction that one can have is the addiction to self. Because sometimes when I see that crowd, I just go there. I start comparing myself to people. Or sometimes when I see that crowd, I become critical, maybe, of other people in that crowd. Or sometimes, especially the crowd that lives with me at home, they're a crowd, they're a lot of people, I try to control them. I'm trying to control them. And all those things block me from compassion. But probably even more than that for my life personally, like more of, Um, more than me having necessarily negative emotions or negative thoughts towards other people, probably what trips me up from, that blocks me from showing compassion is I'm I'm too busy thinking about, well, what do you think about me? Well, they're looking at me funny. They must be judging me. Or they're, you know, that that they just, you know, they gave me a bad look or what are, you know, why, why were they so snappy with me? Oh, it must be me. Or they're all looking at me so strange. Do they think I'm a bad person because I like zombie movies? You know, what is it? You know, what is it, you know, that you're thinking? Um, but, but you need to know and you need to remember, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. See, Jesus, he didn't condemn people, nor did he receive their condemnation, and neither should we. He didn't condemn people, nor did he receive their condemnation, and neither should we. We don't need to receive it. It's not who we are. So when we get that out of the way, when we get the things that block compassion out of the way, you know, what does compassion look like? What does compassion look like? Um, Just fleshing it out every day. What does it look like? I wish I had at this moment like a beautiful example from my own life personally. But I'm not very naturally compassionate. You know, some people have got it. Like they've got that feeling in their gut, and it just is this natural overflow in their life. Not so much with me. I would be more the person who would talk about being compassionate because I'm a talker. Um, And those of you that know me, that this is really my spiritual gift. It's not really teaching. It's more specifically talking. Um, And I'm, I'm... 
I'm good at talking. Really, my strength is talking to strangers, but I'll, I'll talk to you if I, if I know you as well. And, um, but, but really, talking is probably my strength. And unfortunately or fortunately, my family is very imbalanced. Um, that one of us in the family has tremendous verbal capacity, and the rest are kind of, they're just listeners, you know? <laughs> and so anyway, so this really, so this is, you know, I, I really don't understand. I'm like, Lord, can I just have one, just one talker, just one in the group? But no, none. So anyway, and so it's always amazing to me to try to relate to my children, because most of the time they're, they're like, Mom, but you don't get it because you're such a talker, you know? And so anyway, so my kids say these kind of things to me all the time, and um and so I'm always, I'm always wondering, you know, what's it like to be my kids? You know, or, or, or what, you know, how are my kids doing in school and this kind of stuff? You know, do they have friends because they don't really talk? You know, or whatever. So anyway, I, <laughs> so anyway, I go in for the parent-teacher conference, and it's always one of the things I ask. I'm like, you know, how are they doing socially? You know, do they, do they have friends? You know, how are they doing socially? And this last parent-teacher conference, the teacher looked at me like I was crazy. And she's like, don't you know who your kid is? And I'm like, no, what? And, um, and so anyway, she tells me this story. I'm like, no, I'm not a good mom. No, so, so anyway, she tells me this story. She tells me this story of my child. Um, and what happened in the classroom is that this, this one student in the class, and I don't know if this was you when you were in elementary school or you remember kids like this in elementary school, but wherever this student went, you could just see the trouble stirring. Do you know what I mean? And so like at every little table that the student sat at, there just was trouble stirring. And then they would move the student, and then the trouble would kind of stir over here, and they'd move the student, and the trouble would kind of stir over here. And so what they decided to do was to put the student next to my daughter, Elizabeth. Um, and so they put, my, put the student next to my daughter, Elizabeth. And they said that what was amazing is that all of a sudden, the student started to change. And it was like the student became more peaceful, and her behavior started to change and her countenance started to change. You know, when my kids go out the door, I say things to them like, did you brush your teeth? Do you have your lunch? I pray that you can be filled with God's love so you can love others, and I'll see you this afternoon after school. Like, I pray that prayer, and I don't even think about it. I pray that they will be filled with God's love so that they can love others. And I rattle it off just like I rattle off, you know, a thousand other things um, in them, to them in the morning. And I never think, really, the implications of praying that for your child. God, I pray that they will be filled with your love so that you, they can love others. I guarantee you that little girl's countenance or her presence didn't change because of anything Elizabeth ever said to her. She changed because the spirit of the living God is in that little girl. And Elizabeth gave that little girl her presence. She just gave her her presence. And sometimes what compassion looks like just giving somebody your presence. It's just stepping into their life to relieve the pain that's there, to relieve the pain that's there by that wound. Elizabeth, too, they talk about, my, the teacher then proceeded to tell me that this little girl's backpack that was sitting next to Elizabeth, her backpack was just a disaster. You know how little kids get that they're, you know, the homework was everywhere and papers and, you know, lunches from past weeks gone by. And, and that Elizabeth, you know, Elizabeth, nobody asked her to do this, but, um, but she said to the little girl, she said, can I please clean your backpack for you? Can I please clean your backpack for you? And she did. And she cleaned this little girl's backpack. Y'all, that just simple compassion. Nobody told her to do that. But she saw a need, and she just stepped in. She saw a need, and she just stepped in. And that's what 
um, compassion looks like. It doesn't have to be some big, huge thing. It can be lots of little things, but it's stepping in um, by the grace and the power of Jesus stepping into somebody else's life and relieving some of the pain. You know, for me, a couple years ago, when I first, um, I first read this verse or first heard teaching on this verse, it was something that I had read. I read, uh, um, I read a commencement speech um, by a man, a man named Dr. Cleophas LaRue. Um, and Dr. LaRue was giving a commencement speech to seminary students at Princeton Theological Seminary. So here's all these seminary students. And this is the passage that Dr. LaRue uses to, to speak to these seminary students. And, you know, obviously he has this verse. He says that the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send workers out into the harvest field. And what Dr. LaRue was saying is that there are always going to be more kingdom things to do than people willing to do it. There is always going to be more kingdom things to do than people willing to do it. And so with a heart full of compassion, go. Go. And when I read those verses, um, and, you know, and, and when I read that speech, it, there was something that resonated, you know, within me. And I read those, I read that, I read that speech, and I kind of pushed all those verses that we're looking at together. And I just prayed that. I just prayed. I was like, Lord, I was like, Lord, I, you know what? I want to go where the harvest is plentiful and the workers are few. God, I want to go where the harvest is plentiful and the workers are few. Don't send out any other workers. Please send me. Please send me. And please send me with a heart full of your compassion. Father God, give me a passion for people. Give me a passion for people that comes from you, that I couldn't fake it if I tried. God, give me a heart and a compassion for people. And, you know, I just prayed that in my computer room at my house in Virginia, not really thinking that my life was going to radically change or anything. Um, But when you pray, God, send me to where the harvest is plentiful, the workers are few. God's going to change your life. He just is. And what he did for me is that he took me out of the mainstream and he put me in the margin. Is that he took me out of the mainstream and he put me in the margin. And he allowed me to do things and to step into people's lives where nobody else was. Where nobody else was. And my hands got so dirty and it was awesome. Because the harvest is plenty and the workers are few. But when you're when you're kind of when you're doing the thing when there's not a lot of workers, um, when you're you know when you're in the harvest and the harvest is plenty and the workers are few, and you're doing that thing, you start to think you're a little crazy because because you're you've left the mainstream, you've moved to the margins, and you're kind of doing things that nobody else around you is doing, and you think you're crazy. And when when we we lived in Virginia at the time, in Col- not just Virginia, when we lived in Colonial Williamsburg, Virginia. We lived at the place that your grandmother longs to go. I mean, she she wants to go if you haven't taken. Her go. I mean, it's horse and buggies. It's people churning butter. It's good stuff. So anyway, we live in this kind of idyllic community. William and Mary is there. I mean, it's just beautiful, beautiful, beautiful place. Um, And we could feel God stirring and calling us to the margins and calling us to be a part of an urban city. And we're like, God, it's not very urban feeling here in Williamsburg, Virginia. And so then, therefore, it didn't come as a huge surprise to us um, when we got the call to come to Jacksonville, Florida. And then it didn't come to a big surprise to us that every person that Tripp knew in Jacksonville 
just happened to be going um, to this new church that they had started collectively. It didn't surprise us. And in every book, um, I felt like I've read in the last couple of years, they have this quote that kind of resonated with me. And the quote is this. It says, yes, you might be crazy, but you are not alone. You are not alone. Y'all, look around right now. Say it to somebody. You might be crazy, but you are not alone. You are not alone. And I think that that, to us, was what was exciting about coming to River City Church, is that, okay, we might be crazy, but we're not by ourselves. Because look, here's a whole church that God has called out of the mainstream and into the margins. Here's a whole body of believers, collectively, that they've said no to the mainstream, and they're moving in the margins. And that we do it, and we do this thing together. And that's exciting. I mean, that is so exciting to be able to do this thing together. But I think I would be remiss if I didn't pick up on some of the things that Antley said last week. Yes, we are called to go to the harvest where the harvest is plenty and the workers are few, and we're called to do that together. But please don't ever forget that God has a harvest for you individually. That God has a harvest for you individually, where he wants you to go, where he wants you to step out. How do I know this? Because he says it in his word. I think this was one of the verses that got read last week. Um, For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared us in advance to do. The harvest is plentiful, the workers are few. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed it to us by his spirit. That's found in 2 Corinthians 2, um, chapter 2, verse 9. And I, um, I, I feel like it's worth reading this one as well. Um, for me, we, my husband and I, we do. We've moved so much. And that can be so hard, moving. And especially moving in a community where maybe about half of you are somehow related to each other. I mean, Jacksonville is a very <laughs> tight community, you know. And so sometimes that's tough, you know, moving and stepping into that. Um, but we take such confidence. And this has been a verse that's been so encouraging for my family. Acts chapter 17 Verse 26 and 27, he determined the time set for them and the exact places where they should live. God did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out to him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. You can be confident that God has you right where he wants you. You don't have to wait to be compassionate. You just step in when you see the walking wounded around you. You just step in. You just step in with the compassion of Christ. You just step in. You know, um, as I prayed those verses, it has been such a privilege to see the different things that God has brought me through and the opportunities he's allowed me to care and to step into people's lives. And um, one of the things that that God has allowed me to do this year is I teach GED classes. I teach GED classes out at Wolfson High School. And I'm out there about two nights a week. And it has been so exciting to see um, what's happening in those students' lives. And it's so fun. I probably have, I think I have in ages like from 16 to 46-year-olds. Everything walks in that door coming in at a first grade to a 12th grade level. I mean, it's just amazing to see these people who desire um, to further their education. And one of the things I tell them, the first sign of class is I say this. I say, you know what? My job is to help you move towards freedom. 
but my job is to help you move towards freedom. And it has been so cool to see people just really love being there and have an excitement for learning. Um, one of the things that I pray for that class is I pray for God's peace over that class. And my husband had the, um, he came and, and visited the class class one night. And I said to him, I was like, Trip, could you feel the peace? Like, that's a big thing for us. Could you walk in and just feel the peace? And he was like, no, that is not a peaceful classroom. I was like, what? He's like, Kathy, no, that is not a peaceful classroom. That classroom is exciting. Those people are enthusiastic about learning. You know, they're enthusiastic about being there. And that has been so cool to see God kind of fan the flame in these people's hearts and their lives for learning and to, and to have a passion for learning. Um, and there have been nights that I have come home just so thankful that I am in that circumstance and in that situation. And then there have been nights when I have come home and I, I've just looked at my husband and I was like, I just have to go to bed because I'm just tired because that just wore me out. And there have been times when I've come home and I've just cried. I've just cried because walking alongside of the walking dead, it's not very fun. And y'all know, you've lived it this week, um, there's a fine line between joy and sorrow sometimes. There's a fine line between joy and sorrow. And that's a very real dynamic of our faith. It just is. And, um, and there have been times when I would just, I remember a couple Tuesdays ago, I would, on Tuesday morning is when I work, you know, and prepare for my class. So I have Monday night class, and then Tuesday morning I prepare to go back out Monday night. And I remember sitting in front of my house, sitting in the car on Tuesday morning, getting ready to go in and study and prepare. And I was like, Lord, I'm just tired. I don't want to do this anymore. I'm just tired. And it's not like, I can't describe it right now because I'm on spring break and I'm not tired. But it's just, <laughs> it's just, it's that feeling it's that feeling that you get that you are just tired to the bone. That you are just tired to the bone and you just don't want to give anymore. You're just done. You're done loving hard to love people. You're just tired and you don't see how you're ever going to get any relief. You don't see how you're going to get it because you're just so tired and you don't want to keep on keeping on. You're just done. And so in the midst of that, I'm hiding in my car, literally, um, not wanting to go into my house, but I'm sitting there, and I feel like God just reminded me of this truth. He just reminded me of this truth. He was like, Kelly, I see you out there. I see you out there with that heart of compassion. I see you out there loving people. I get it. I get what you're doing, but you have forgotten something. What you've forgotten is that I am the good shepherd, and I lay down my life for the sheep that I am the good shepherd, and I lay down my life for the sheep. Kathy, you are still a sheep. You, too, are harassed and helpless, and you need a shepherd. And so just rest, little sheep, just rest. Just rest. And I was so comforted to just rest, to just rest and know that more than God wants for me to show compassion, he wants to show me his compassion. He wants to show me his compassion. And how do I know that's true? Does that line up with scripture? Absolutely. Because immediately, and maybe you guys thought it too, my mind drifts to Luke 15, where we see the story of a shepherd who leads the flock, and he leads the 99, and he goes after that one sheep. And he goes after that sheep who's lost. 
And when he finds them, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders. And he goes home. And he takes that sheep home. And as I read that passage, I think, too, um, a a little further down in Luke chapter 15, um, there's another story. And there's a story about a son um, who walks out on his father. And it's the story of the prodigal son. And and the son just walks away. He just walks away. And um, as I've been thinking about the prodigal son, I think of, you know, times in my life where I just, I just walk away and I just do my own thing. And it reminds me of the verse in um, Isaiah 44, verse 20. It says this, He feeds on ashes and a deluded heart misleads him. He cannot save himself or say, Is this thing in my right hand a lie? And that there are times when I walk away from God that I am holding on to a lie and I am looking for something to satisfy me that will never satisfy me. Let go of the lie. It will never satisfy you like God will satisfy you, like he longs to show compassion to you. It just won't. It won't satisfy. Let it go. And as I was thinking and preparing for today, the one thing that I felt like God was saying to me over and over and over again is tell them to come Tell them to come home. And it doesn't matter if they left like the prodigal out the front door with everybody could see it, where everyone could see it, and everybody knows that you left. God wants you to come home. Or it doesn't matter if maybe um, you might be like that younger son who stayed at home, and his heart just grew hard. And his heart grew so hard And he covered up his wounds so well. Um, And his heart grew hard towards God and towards his father and towards all the things around him. And God says to that son, too, and says to us, come home. He wants you to come home. And as you come home, what is God thinking about you? What is he feeling towards you? But while he was still a far way off, father saw him and was filled with compassion. And he ran to his son and he threw his arms around him and he kissed him. And he said in the story, for this son of mine was dead and now he's alive. He was lost and now he's found. What changes and transforms us from the, from the dead to the living is God's compassion. His compassion transforms us. His tender affection, his mercy, his amazing love transforms us. And yes, he desires for us to give that to others, but it is nothing compared to the compassion that he desires and wants to show each one Let's stand.